Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We don't remember and learn from history what happens. We repeat it, right? So we, we have to start remembering things and start speaking things into new generations. Otherwise, some of these things that we hold so near and dear are going to be lost. And then when they're lost, they're going to be repeated, and then we're going to see the damage happen. I think we're experiencing some of that in today's society and the culture that we're living in right now because so many of these things have just been pushed aside for other things and other agendas. And we of all people, right, should know that there are some important memorials that are in our past that need to be remembered, that need to be spoken to, and that need to be addressed going forward. Today, the big focus, okay, is going to be Acts 10, and we're going to be talking about some important memorials and what they looked like. But first, I have to tell you about little Johnny, because he came into the church building one Sunday morning, and he was kind of looking around, and then he saw this big plaque on one of the walls and he was staring up at it looking at it very longingly and trying to figure it all out and the pastor saw him looking at it and thought he would come alongside and educate him a little bit and said Johnny how's it going this morning and he said good pastor how are you he says I'm doing well then Johnny looks up to him and says pastor what is this thing on the wall for and he says well Johnny those are all people who were in the service and died in the service and we need to value them and we need to remember them. And Johnny just stared and stared. And he said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? And he said, of course. He says, was it the early service or the late service that they died? <laughs> Hopefully, you'll, you'll make it through this one. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. This morning has been just one little interesting layer of things that have demanded that I trust God and not myself today. Uh, I have hit some very interesting hurdles, and it's like, okay, Lord, this is not about my strength. This is about you and trusting you through today. Now, I hope you guys have felt prayed for, because it's like, whenever I preach, I pray for you guys more, because it's like, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to be a barrier to the word of God in you. So hopefully you felt prayed for. I have been thinking about you by face, by name, not for any specific reason other than you meet with God here today. Because that's the relationship I have with him. When I'm in your presence and I'm worshiping with you and I'm studying the word with you, I am blessed. And so hopefully you're feeling that way today too. Hopefully you're going to get something incredible out of the message, not because of me, but because of who God is. Now, memorial to remember, we're looking at Acts 10. If you want to use the Bibles that are in the chairs, it's page 1265. Uh, you can look at it there, or you can look at your own copy of the Word. But first, of course, you know what? All right, memorial. Some of us, you know, I have found, so my wife and I had this conversation on the way home. Um, we, had a converse, we had a conversation with our kids, and they, they used some terms, and I'm like, well, what do you mean when you say that? 
because I don't know about you, but you know what? Words that used to mean things mean new things, and it seems like words don't have the same meaning anymore. So I'm always like defining terms, defining terms, because I think our language is under attack. <laughs> but anyways, memorial, okay, something, especially a structure, established to remind people of a person or an event. Okay, so we're here at Memorial Day weekend, and so it's like there's some service people that we're certainly wanting to pay homage to and remember. I mean, I've had, there's a lot of people in my family that were in the service and um, were in different places at different times. And yeah, all of those, all of them that were in the service are no longer with us. Wild how that works. And it's important to remember, right? And like Walt said, and it's like, and you'll hear this at the end of the sermon too, the one person that we need to make sure we're memorializing daily is our Lord. But I'm not going to give you the end yet. So, Now, this lovely little rock structure here. Uh, when I was working with the youth, we did something called the 30 Hardest Days. And it was a challenge. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, we did some things, and it was like, and they, the study tricked us. I didn't, follow, I didn't read way, way ahead. And so it's like I followed down this crazy road of, oh, you know, choose something that's near and dear to your heart. And I chose something that was near and dear to my heart. And pray about it and really think about how much you loved it and what you do with that thing. And it was like, yeah, okay, sure. And then a couple weeks later they said, remember that thing that you talked about that you really loved? Now figure out somebody that you can give it to. What? Thank God it wasn't my car. <laughs> Like, whoa. No, it was, it was something that I had that it was, like, it was funny because it was like I had looked for this one particular item for a long, long time. And it was like I finally found it, got it, was enjoying it. And it was like, yeah, boy, I'm really enjoying this thing. And it was like, is that more important than what God would have me do here? I know that's extreme and I'm not asking anybody to do that. But I mean, this was just it was an exercise in how attached was I to stuff especially this thing that I had kind of elevated. Because it's like, that's a dangerous thing to do when we elevate things over certain other things. But anyways, this is a memorial. I made some other promises and things like that that this represents. It sits in my office. If you, if you ever come down to my little cubicle, you'll see it sitting on a shelf because it reminds me always of those kids at study. It was cool. Um, we had a group of teens when, you know, we all went through this with this, obviously. And it was like the whole thing culminated and all of us sitting in a circle, kind of talking about, you know, what God had done through this study and then washing each other's feet. And it's like, that was just, it was beautiful to see the care and tenderness and humility of a group of teens that were willing to just kneel on the floor and kind of watch each, wash each other's feet. And it's like, I think back, and it's like, where those kids are, and now they have kids, and it's, it's crazy. But it's like, small decisions that are made day in and day out have big, big payoffs. And that's what these kids kind of are, to me, it's like I see what God has done in their life. And I see the investment. Because sometimes you feel like you're just kind of investing, investing, and it goes nowhere. But not with God. 
because he's that multiplier, right? You give him the two loaves and the fish, and you know the loaves and the fishes, and he takes care of the rest. And that's what I—that's what this reminds me of in the lives of the people that I was privileged to be involved with. All right, I've talked about this. I'm moving it because it'll end up on the floor, or somebody will get hit with it, or whatever. My memorial. Now the Jews, they have built memorials into their life. Just a few things. <laughs> that they do on a regular basis. Uh, 15 Shavat, that, that's, that marks the, the beginning of the new year for trees, as interesting as that is. I wasn't going to include it, but I thought, well, it's on the calendar, I will include it. There are, some of these you'll know. Purim celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from Haman through Esther. Passover, obviously, celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from the slavery in Egypt. Second Passover, 30 days later, they kind of look back at everything that God has done. Shavuot marks the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Three weeks is designated as a time of mourning over the destruction of the Holy Temple. Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Sukkot, the seven days of Sukkot celebrated by dwelling in a sukkah. Um, taking the four kinds and rejoicing. Hanukkah, everybody's familiar with Hanukkah. And then the fast of Tevat 10, the 10th day of the Jewish month of Tevat in the year 3336 from creation, which would be 425 BC, when the armies of Babylonian Emperor Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem. And so this year, January 3rd, 2023, was observed as a day of fasting, mourning, and repentance. They want to remember what God has done. Constantly, And we need to do the same thing. Uh, it may not look exactly the same, but we need to be about remembering. So a memorial to remember, okay, is built by daily devotion. And we're going to read uh, the account of a centurion named Cornelius. And it's very, I find it very interesting. Hopefully you do too. But let's go to Acts 10, starting in verse 1. This whole idea of a daily devotion Acts 10, starting in verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Can you imagine that? Does that ever happen in anybody's prayers? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. Right? But can you imagine that happening? Just your time with God and all of a sudden someone shows up? That clearly, I mean, he was afraid. So it wasn't just kind of like, you know, oh, hey, Joe, how's it going? No, somebody important showed up here. The whole idea, I know some people get tripped up. Oh, the ninth hour, the ninth hour, it's at. That's three o'clock in the afternoon, just so you know. And that typically was... Daily prayer or public prayer, the custom of the Jews that time, that day. Now, some things that matter here, because I think sometimes we don't realize what God's doing around us. But where he lived mattered to the Lord. And we'll talk about that in a minute. His heritage mattered to the Lord. What his vocation was mattered to the Lord. His spiritual standing mattered to the Lord. And he was earnestly pursuing 
God here. His family's spiritual standing mattered to the Lord. How charitable he was mattered to the Lord. That he sought God mattered to the Lord. Prayer was a regular part of his life, whatever that looked like. And we say, okay, well, why do these things matter? Because God recorded them here. See, sometimes we think, you know, oh, I'm just stuck in this place. I've lived here all my life. What's the point? God knows you're here for a reason. God's probably put you here for a reason. It's funny. I, I laugh about that. My family and I, we laugh about this from time to time. It's like, I've tried to escape Massachusetts several times. And God has brought me back every time. So I finally said, all right, Lord, I get it. Over the years, it's like I, I grew up on the West Coast, came back, and went back again, came back, went to Texas, came back. It's just, it's funny. It's hilarious. But where God has us matters to him. He knows what you can do there. He knows what's possible through you. And it's like we can't discount what we oftentimes deem as the mundane details of our life as just that. God knows about them. God cares about them. God wants to use them for him. For his kingdom. Now we see here that personal devotion, right, was a part of his life. He was spiritually focused. And we're going to find out something about Cornelius kind of at the end of this list that is interesting. That you don't really catch initially, but you'll catch it. Now this whole idea of being devout, he was not an idolater. He did not worship idols. And you know, most of us go, oh, hey, that's easy. That's not us. That's not me. But an idol is anything that is put before the Lord. Anything. A person, a situation, a dream, anything. And it's challenging to strip down life to, Lord, I put you first. You know, I have three children. And it's hard not to keep them below God. <laughs> but that's their place. Because I want to, you know, I want them to be everything, but it's like that's not their place. God has to be first place, preeminent, above all. And Cornelius, he was doing that. He was, he was not putting other things. He was pursuing God. He was seeking God. He was looking to God. And that needs to be our life. And that's, the one thing I don't want us to do as I go through this list is go, okay, I need to do these things. I need to develop this checklist. I don't want that. Because it's like, if we start looking at Christian living as just these things we do, ugh, I've lived there. It's yucky. I want the Christian life for you, as it is for me, a relationship with God that is so vibrant, that is so rich, that is so realistic to you that you're hearing God speak and you're doing what he says, whatever that may be. We're looking at Cornelius' list, and there's some things that we can certainly learn from it, what he was doing, what he was about, but it's not just adopting his list. The better thing to do is seek God above all else. Because when we do that, whatever he tells us, 
which leads us to our next point. Family worship, right? The, the idea of not only us, but the people around us should have some impact. Verse 2 says, all his house was this way. He took care to instruct his family in the knowledge which he himself had received and to establish the worship of God in his house. Our homes should reflect God somehow. Somehow. Whether it's that we pray, whether it's some people, I mean, my wife makes signs, so we have verses, like, everywhere. If I don't know some verses, I'm not paying attention to our house. <laughs> not that you have to do that. And that's the thing. I'm not saying people have to do this, but there should be some kind of, God should be in your home. Somehow, some way, so that when people come in, they feel his presence. They feel his spirit. And that that touches them in some way. So he had personal devotion, family worship. He was outwardly generous. He gave alms to the people. Um, his love toward God led him to love mankind. And this love proved its sincerity by actions. And again, it's just, again, loving alms, it's not just about being charitable. It's not just about giving money. It's about loving people. Even the hard ones. <laughs> Even the ones that are challenging to love. We're called to it. We see the, the examples through Scripture where Christ went to the challenging people in our country, in our country, in our community, and loved them. How else can we show the difference? Because uh, you look at the community now and I mean, people are labeled, people are canceled, people are shunned, people are... It's amazing what's happening. And this, this unity that is happening in our world has got to get turned around. And if there's a group of people who should be able to know how to do that, it should be us. And that's the whole idea about being outwardly generous, just caring for other people, giving them love, loving them in challenging times, you know, stores, you find those people there all the time. <laughs> the ones that are clawing to the front of the line. It's like, you know, is your life dependent on checking out today? <laughs> it's like, it seems like it. Like everyone's part of the amazing race and they'll die or make a million dollars if they get out of the store first. It's crazy. But it happens. Personal devotion, family worship, outward generosity, committed to prayer. And this part becomes important because in a little bit, We'll focus on this a little bit more, but he prayed to God always, felt dependent, knew that he had no good but what he had received and considered God to be the source where he was to receive all his blessings from. Do you see God that way in your life? Where everything that's good, everything that's right, everything that's pure comes from him? Everything that's good in your life? It's a challenge. I like credit. <laughs> it's like, look what I did. I love credit. It's a wonderful thing. It feels good. But it's like, guess what? I am more blessed when I go, wow, God worked this out. God worked in this situation. God accomplished this. You know, we had a crisis in our household last week. And it was like, it was amazing. Because it's only by the work of God that I was praising him 
about when we, when we came across this situation because it could have been worse had it gone on longer. And I was like, thank you, Lord, that we discovered this now. Because it, it could have been disastrous. And it's like, that is not who I used to be. When, when tragedy would hit, I'd be like, why is this happening? Look at this, this it's a crisis. Because <laughs> I don't like crises. Because I, I take pains to make sure I go the extra mile to think about this and do that and kind of try to be ahead of the crisis in life. And, you know, I'm always working so hard to do this. And it's like, God's like, hey, you know, I can handle this stuff if you just give it to me. And it's like, okay, Lord. And I did that years ago. And it's like, because <sighs> guess what? I found out. God finally showed me. He goes, you getting all bent out of shape doesn't fix it. I'm like, you're kidding me. Doesn't change the situation. I still have to do something about it. So it's like, okay, I can just address it, look at it, and go, okay, Lord, this is your house. You got to fix this. <laughs> and then he usually leads. And it's an awesome thing. But we're talking about Cornelius, not me, so I digress. Now, Cornelius, a Roman centurion stationed at Caesarea. Uh, he was supposed to have been a distinguished, from a distinguished family of Rome. Um, he was the first Gentile convert, according to many scholars, as far as in the New Testament and how that all works, which is kind of cool. This is where it began, where it went from the Jews and the focus became the Gentiles. Which, if you're not Jewish today, you should be praising God. Because we could be living in bondage, under sin, with no way out. But it changed here. Uh, let's see. The telling of his reception of the gospel shows how God broke down the wall between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, it's first mentioned here in Acts 10, 1. He evidently had been laid, led by the Holy Spirit to renounce idolatry to worship the true God, and to lead in the midst of an excessive culture. He had a devout and charitable life. He was prepared to receive the Savior and did not fail to uh, reveal himself. I'm sorry. Uh, we see Cornelius miraculously directed to send for Peter, which if you go to chapter 9, you're going to have to read that on your own, sorry. But God worked through Peter and kind of got him prepared for what was going to happen here in chapter 10. And so Peter was getting worked on and prepared, and it's cool. I love the, the workings of this, because you see in a community that's like 30-something miles away, God's working to do something that's 30 miles over here that's going to happen. And he's working with these multiple people at, at the same time, and it's all kind of happening. It just looks like regular life. It just looks like regular life. But it's God at work. It's so cool. And that's where it's like, we've got to get beyond the mundane, that, oh, our, our mundane day is just, it's boring, I go through the schedule. No, God's at work every day. It's up to us and important for us to pay attention, to look for him. So I'll tell you, this year has been the focus of seek and you shall find. If you're not seeking, you won't find it. You've got to be looking. You've got to be going after it. You've got to be pursuant. Because guess what? God doesn't walk around just, you know, follow me, follow me, follow me. He doesn't do that. He wants us to choose to do that. He wants us to understand what that means to do that. Now, being a centurion, you had to be a Roman officer. They, they commanded typically 100 soldiers. 
Uh, there's several centurions mentioned with honor in the New Testament. Um, but Cornelius was the first fruits of Christ from the Gentiles. Devout Cornelius is kind of how he's referred to by many people. Just a quick thought. I cannot expect my Christian life to just happen in a vacuum. I must choose. I must devote myself to things and actions that will produce a godly life. Learning, fellowship, hospitality, prayer. Um, when Deb, Deb and I travel, we talk even more than we normally do. <laughs> um, and it's one of those things where as we look at our Christian life and how it all works, understanding that you know, God has these things that he puts out there that are for our good. And it's like what we believe about God becomes so radically important. Because if we think he's just a big meanie, if we think he's a killjoy, if we just think he's like the cosmic killjoy that's trying to figure out how to disrupt our life and make it like whatever, that's how we interact with him. Like, all right, God, I'll do it. But if we understand that God's perfect will, and again, not getting so caught up in just, oh, the perfection of it all, but in God only wants good for us. But not only that, he wants the best for us. You know, he provided the best to provide salvation, right? Christ was the best. It was he himself coming to earth and doing only what he could do. That was the provision the best to provide something in our life that is the best. But sometimes we think that, you know, God's just trying to do these other things that he's really not trying to do. I have found that when we yield to the Lord, my life is better. Deb and I constantly are like, we are blessed. Is this real? Is this happening? Because, I mean, we've not done anything, like, supernaturally special. It's just like, okay, God says, do this. All right, I'll do this. God says, oh, don't do this. Okay, I won't do that. I mean, that's just kind of how we try to pattern our lives. No, not perfect, not flawless by any. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of drama. All comes with it. So I don't want to mislead you to thinking, like, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns and, you know, we're la, 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 la. No, it's, it's, we don't live in Smurf Village. But it's like, even in the challenges, even in the drama, we can see God's hand, we can see him working, and it's a huge, huge blessing. A memorial to remember is built by daily devotion. The day in and the day out do matter. What we do with those 24 hours makes a difference. You choose how you're going to do that. Secondly, a memorial to remember is proven by obedience. Let's continue on um, chapter 10, verse 4b. The second half of that verse could be stopped halfway through there. So, so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. 
Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all of these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And again, these are, to me, these are just like details. He's a tanner. He's by the sea. Da, da, da. God knows exactly where every single one of us are at every moment of time. And if we're listening to him and if we're looking for him, we can be used by him in those weird moments that we just think are tragedy in our life sometimes. But God's putting together all of these details, all of these situations and circumstances. Because Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was living kind of like a Jew. But there were still some things going on that we haven't really keyed into that we're going to understand. Now, this whole part of last part of uh, 4b there says your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God it's an interesting throwback because it's like if we go to Leviticus 2 it says the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain some of the oil and some of its frankincense it's an offering made with fire unto the Lord. And that's where scholars go back to and say, okay, this whole idea of a memorial offering about honoring God, about choosing to honor God and elevate him in our life is an important element. And Jews have been doing this since time began. And this is part of a Gentile's life, that his prayers and his alms went up as a memorial, just like the memorial portion offering went up to God and God saw it and understood it, and it was important and valuable to him there. Cornelius' sacrifices were acceptable to the Lord here because, and here is the key, he did it God's way, not my way. And that's where we kind of struggle sometimes. I'll do God's work. Yeah, come on, God, follow me. Bless me over here. Bless me over here. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. And we're all about doing this stuff for God. And he's going, all right, go ahead. I'm not in it. Whatever. We have got to yield to the Lord. He has this stuff in place purposefully, intentionally. The words are here. And sometimes they say, oh, that's just, mm, he was a tanner. He was by the sea. Hey, I want a beachfront property. <laughs> Bring it on. But it's like, we, these details sometimes seem so seemingly like, eh, eh, But it's because God is using all people in all places at all times in his way when we yield to him. And I get it. It's hard. Sunday morning, the clock is demanding every Sunday morning. You got to get up. You got to get ready. You got to get to church. Oh, the five minute countdown. <laughs> I get it. But there's a different way to live. And it's God's way. And it's not letting these demands that society puts on us dictate how we respond. 
And that's the thing. I, I've learned, you know, God's finally got it. It took a while. Let me tell you, I'm thick. It took a while for God to get there, but it's like, start responding instead of reacting. It's a way better way to live. Because it's like, reaction is just, this happens and you go, where responding is like, okay, that just happened. I saw it happen. Now what am I going to do? And it's a lot more stable, <laughs> let me tell you. And you will like living that way, reacting to things God's way, reacting how we, the Lord would have you react. React? No, respond. See, look, I can't even get it out of my, my words. It'll happen. Cornelius' prayers and alms came up for a memorial before God. And God was pleased. Isn't that a great sentence? God was pleased. That's a beautiful place to live. When we do it his way, God will be pleased. It's kind of a guarantee, which is sort of cool. And then it goes on, you know, as we see the story unfold, Cornelius then was immediately responsive to God's directive. There's another challenge point, isn't it? Like, well, but Lord, I've got this going on over here. I've got that going on over here. If I do that, I have to give up those things. Right? We all struggle from FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. It's like, uh -huh, I don't want to get that. But guess what? When we seemingly, you know, it goes back to seek ye first the kingdom of God and he will add all these things unto you. If we honor God first, a lot of times you'll get that other stuff too. A lot of times, not always. I'm not going to, you know, no false promises. But God knows our heart. He knows how to bless us, how to encourage us, how to provide for us. And sometimes the things that we thought were going to be important, when we yield to God and listen to him, it's like, oh, this is so much better, and I was going to settle for that. Uh. And it's a beautiful thing. It's hard. I will give it to you. It's hard. It's a challenge sometimes to, to live that way, to be that way. Now, I, I must say, one thing that came to mind here, and I always struggled with, was that whole, because it's like talking about, you know, things being acceptable and his sacrifice being acceptable. And I used to struggle with, you know, the whole story of Cain and Abel. And it's like, oh, you know, two brothers and, you know, same family and two different ways. And he was giving, and that's, again, it speaks to the idea of God's way. Cain did it his way. Cain did what he thought would be okay, what he provided, and... It didn't work for God. And that's what we have got to drill down to just as important as these crazy little details are to life. How we do life matters to God. Because good intentions don't equal obedience. Oh, but I'm doing this, God. You know, it's easier for me to do it this way or that way or... And he's like, well, it's not what I asked. And so it's like, you know, we've, we've got to give up. And I think that's where we struggle. <laughs> what we think God wants. 
and get to the place where we know what he wants and do that. Because guess what? There's freedom in that. Because it's like, okay, I'm, I'm convinced. This is what God wants. This is where he's leading me. This is what he said. And there's total freedom there. Now, some interesting things here, which I'm going to avoid. Uh, there's some stuff with Caesarea and Joppa that are very interesting. Caesarea is, was primarily a Gentile port, um, and Joppa was more of a Jewish port. And it was, there's, that's some other symbolism that's kind of here. I don't like to like, focus on the symbolic a lot of times, but it's, it's kind of cool here because it's about to get merged, right? The message to the Jews is about to come to the Gentiles. Well, that's Joppa is about to come to Caesarea, and the message is coming with it. And so these two places are merging. So I'm not going to delve into what I was going to talk about with that. But our obedience to God's leading may have a completely different outcome than we imagine. That's why it's so important to listen to him. What's, what's being asked here? You know, Peter's being told, oh, just go with these people and, you know, it's okay. I know they're Gentiles and you're not supposed to be with them, da, 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 but it's okay and go. And Cornelius is saying, send for this guy and, you know, these things are going to happen. And sometimes we're not going to see the whole picture. God's only going to give us a glimpse. And we've got to come to that place. Do I trust God enough to, to believe and do? The interesting part here is in chapter 11, when Peter recounts the events that are happening, Peter says this. He says, who will, or Peter says, is saying this to them. Who, Peter, would, who would be the person who will tell the world words by which you and all your household will be saved? And that's the part that is less like it blows your mind because here's Cornelius. He's living all this spirituality. He's doing all these things. It's even a memorial to God. He's not even saved. You're like, what? And we can get caught up in that too. We can get caught up in spiritual activity. We can look like Christians, sound like Christians, think like Christians ish, and not even be saved. I mean, it's just, you think about it, and it's mind-blowing. Now, granted, circumstances here are slightly different because the message hadn't come to the Gentiles, and there wasn't a do-you-accept-or-reject kind of a thing going on here because God knew, hey, it's ready to do this, and it's going to be through Cornelius because he is the guy who is ready. But very cool. So what was missing? Third point, a memorial to remember is empowered by the gospel. This is what makes the difference. It's all just religious activity, really, until the gospel gets introduced, until the power of the gospel infuses with all of this. We're going to read through this quickly. Acts 10, 34, we're going to kind of jump down. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you tell, I'm sorry, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he who is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues to magnify God. Then Peter answered, Anyone, can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Just a few things, and then we're going to be done. Now, there's some inward stuff that happens here that needs to be very important part of our life. First, we have to acknowledge Christ as Lord and put him in that place. It's, it's more than just like, okay, yep, you're Lord. He's got to have that place in your life. He's got to have the preeminence. He's got to have that first place. Recognize his death on the cross for the sin of the whole world. Receive Christ's payment for your sin. I know people who are trying to be Christians, and they're trying to pay for their sin by their penance and by their this and that, and you know, I'm doing this for God and that for God and all that kind of stuff. Right? He says, no, my yoke is easy. You know, <laughs> Christian living should not be hard. Challenging, yes, but it's like he does, he's done all the work. We just have to believe and trust. Inwardly, we have to acknowledge that he was raised back to life on the third day. Not only seen by his disciples, but they ate and drank with him, right? This happened. These are events. It's not a story. It's not symbolic. It's not metaphoric. This is history. And we've got to prove it. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whoever believes in him will receive the Holy Spirit. And it's like Cornelius had all these things except for this. And then it happened. And as soon as they heard who Jesus was, and as soon as they understood what Jesus did, and as soon as they realized these things, it all came together for them. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And that is unbelievable. Because that's the change. That's the life. The Christian life we should be living is fueled by the Holy Spirit within us. Not anything, no works of the flesh that we have to muster up to live the Christian life. Now outwardly, that's going to show some things too. Outwardly, we should be proclaiming or speaking about the personal change in us. That we're different. That we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. We should be magnifying God, worshiping Him openly. 
I'll tell you, I am so blessed when us as a body are singing full tilt to the Lord. It is, for me, it just it fills my heart to hear you people sing and to hear us all sing and worship and magnify God together. It is amazing. And if you're, you're challenged to sing or whatever, let go of it. Make a joyful noise into the Lord and let it rip. Because I'll tell you, when you're singing about the Lord, magnifying his name, it flushes out the junk. Because it becomes all about him and not about what anybody around you thinks about your singing. Don't care. Be baptized as part of your salvation experience, if possible. You want to make that outward profession of faith. You should. Now, some people are in situations where they can't. They're bedridden or whatever, and they can't do that. But if you have the potential of getting baptized, you should be baptized to outwardly profess the inward change that's gone on. And then you should definitely have evidence of a spiritual hunger seeking to grow and to go after it. One other verse I want to highlight this morning, actually it's two, John 17, 20 through 21. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word may believe, world may believe that you have sent me. Our lives should be change agents to the people around us, just as our life was changed by other people too, and the influence and the prayers. A memorial, something, especially a structure, established to remind people of a person or event. Our lives need to be that. We should be walking memorials to Jesus Christ. And again, not that we're, you know, we don't have to wear the jewelry or the clothes or whatever, but the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live, the way we interact with people should reveal Christ. People should go, are you a Christian? You know, it, that should just be some evidence in our life. Cornelius lived in such a way that it was a memorial before God, right? He was faithful to God. His family was impacted by God. The community was impacted by his faithfulness. His relationship with God was established by faithfulness. Our lives should be a memorial to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It should. Our daily choices should reinforce those events. Our character and our interactions should reflect Jesus within our family. Our charity should point the community to Christ. Our conversations with God should magnify Christ. Exalt him. As we sang earlier this morning, name above all names, worthy of all praise, my heart will sing how great is our God. Let's all be a memorial to remember so that the next generation is impacted by everything that Christ did. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the incredible gift of salvation that you provide through Jesus Christ. Lord, we are humbled 
So great a salvation that we experience because of an unbelievable sacrifice. Lord, as we leave today, change our hearts, change our minds to embrace who you truly are, to understand how good of a God you are, how perfect, how holy, how righteous, and the incredible relationship you want with us. Why would you, why would you find a way to provide a relationship, to, to reopen the doors of communication, only to have salvation be a starting, uh, an ending point and not a starting point? Lord, our salvation should be the start of something amazing, not just a destination that we finally reached. Lord, we ask for revival. We ask that you will use us. We ask, Father, that you will sensitize us to your working around us so that we can see your hand at work, so that we can join you in those things, and we can magnify you together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.